Hey there, everyone. Welcome back to Mark Ridley's Comedy Castle podcast. As always, I'm your host, Tom McCarthy. So happy to be with you. We've got a terrific show for you this week. Two wonderfully funny and talented ladies who also happen to be two-thirds of our bill here this weekend at the castle. Our guest this week on the Comedy Castle podcast, it is Carmen Lynch, the wonderfully talented and hilarious Carmen Lynch. I'm so looking forward to seeing her this weekend. And her feature act this weekend is a good friend of mine. She's an important cog in the machinery of the Detroit comedy scene. Miss Connie Ettinger is our feature, and she will also be a guest on this week's installment of Mark Ridley's Comedy Castle podcast. Two terrific interviews, if I don't say so much. Well, you know what? If I say two terrific interviews, that's that's implying that I conducted two terrific interviews. I won't I won't go so far as to say that, but they are two wonderful conversations with two wonderfully talented comics. I think you're going to enjoy them. Before I pull those up, though, let's talk about what's going on this week at Mark Ridley's Comedy Castle, the premier comedy club in the Midwest. And I'll, I'll even go out on a very short limb and say it's one of the premier clubs in all of the United States of America. We're so lucky to have it here in our backyard. Here's what's going on. On Tuesday the 14th, 7.30 p.m., it is our Detroit to L.A. Comedy Challenge. Up-and-coming comics vying for cash prizes and stage time and notoriety out in Los Angeles. This is a great, great contest. It runs throughout most of the year, so this is another cycle that we're in here. If you haven't checked one out, get out to the castle Tuesday the 14th. Wednesday the 15th of June, 7.30 p.m. It is our world-famous open mic night. I believe I will be stopping in and saying hello and hopefully getting some stage time. One of the truly great open mics on the scene and as i mentioned week in and week out it's amazing this has always been a great mic it grows and grows each week we've been getting terrific crowds so make sure you're a part of it and then this weekend i am so excited is the carmen lynch weekend here at the comedy castle four shows thursday the 16th through saturday the 18th 7 30 p.m on thursday the 16th showtime is 7 15 p.m on friday the 17th and then again on saturday the 18th early show is 7 Late show is 9.30. A reminder, most of you already know, but during the summer months, typically the weekends go from five show weekends down to four show weekends. So if you're interested in seeing Carmen, and believe me, you do not want to miss her, remember it is a four show weekend with no late show on Friday. Don't show up with your date and your friends at 10 o'clock on Friday night looking to get into the late show (laughs) because there won't be any. Let's get your tickets early. Go to ComedyCastle.com. You can buy your tickets right there. You can call the castle at 248-542-9900. Oh my goodness, how to set up how to set up this week's interviews. Thoroughly enjoyed talking to Carmen. I knew of her material. I mainly knew her as, as those of you who listen to the show on a regular basis know that I am a big fan of the Conan O'Brien show, so I remember Carmen's appearance on Conan. And then I also remember her her first record, Dance Like You Don't Need the Money. What a terrific uh, record title. And then also Vertically Obese, uh, which came out in 2020. Those two records I listened to multiple times uh, over the weekend for my show prep. And my assessment of them, I'm, I'm going to pay the greatest compliment a comic can pay another comic. But Carmen, for someone I don't know personally, and I just know through her work, Carmen is the epitome of a comics comic. Um, and that is anytime another comic says that you are a comics comic. Gosh, I wish someday maybe somebody will say that about me, please. Uh, Carmen fits that mold. I mean, she is a terrific joke writer, awesome delivery, unique persona. 
She's got credits up the yin-yang. Here's a sample of some of her credits. Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon. Late Night with David Letterman. Conan. Uh, the Late Show with Craig Ferguson. She has acting credits. Uh, she was on The Good Wife. Um, where else? She performs in Spanish and in English. It is amazing what she has done. She's got a terrific podcast that I just learned about in my conversation with her. It's called The Human Centipod, which I have downloaded an episode and promise that I will listen to it right after I'm done recording the intros and outros for this week. So Carmen Lynch, someone who I knew a little bit of her work before speaking to her, but kind of doing a deep dive this weekend. I am a huge Carmen Lynch fan. Totally hope to get out to one of the shows this weekend. You need to as well. And then, right after that, I will pull up an interview again with a good friend of mine and an important part of my fledgling comedy career. Connie Ettinger is such a big part of the Detroit scene. She's done so many wonderful things for lots of people. She, more than anyone else I can think of, is a booker who gives people their first shot she gave me my first shots, and I'm eternally grateful for that. Connie's also a solid comic herself, does lots of shows around the area, and she, of course, will be the feature for Carmen this weekend. And hands off to Connie and everyone who books shows. You'll hear us talk about it a little bit. It is not an easy thing to do. You get a lot of grief. There's only so many pain slots for a lot of comics who are vying for them. You got to have thick skin. You got to be kind. You got to be professional. And most importantly, you got to make sure that you're putting together solid lineups for solid shows. And Connie does that. It was great spending some time with her. And we'll go right into that interview after my conversation with Carmen. So, all right. I think I've set them up. I think I know what's about to happen. So sit back and enjoy my conversations with Carmen Lynch and Connie Ettinger. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, on the other end of my line is our headliner for this weekend, Carmen Lynch. Thank you so much, Carmen. We're excited to have you. Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much. I'm very excited to come out there. And it's so humid in New York City. So I'm <laughs> sure it's beautiful out there. It's actually, you know what? On Wednesday, it's supposed to be a record a record high for for this date in, in, in Detroit and with high humidity. So I'm a little bit bummed. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, I thought it was like... You know, you guys are in the north, so I was expected to be like breezy and not humid. You, you East Coast elitist, from a latitude standpoint, <laughs> not to be a show off, but Detroit is actually a few ticks south of New York south latitude wise. But... Really? <laughs> oh, I always think of Michigan as like so. I remember my one of my first boyfriends lived in Michigan, and I visited him once, and there was so much snow. So I just picture Michigan <laughs> as just constantly freezing. It is such a weird, you know. I've I've lived outside the Midwest for a few years of my life, but I've been Midwest based for a good part of my life. And although I love the change of seasons, it it the extremes. I mean, the gross. 95 degrees in humidity is about as gross. It's like Miami in July, and. Uh, it, it bums me out, but we should let all of our listeners know that com Mark Ridley's Comedy Castle is fully air-conditioned. That's amazing. That club is so great. <laughs> we established that. Uh, I know you've played Detroit lots of times, but we established, as I was describing uh, Mark Ridley's, it's known by the famous collection of headshots. And uh, when you walk through there, it's like walking through history and that brings up my very first question for you so i love your stuff 
from a show prep, listened to the last uh, your last two albums, and you're one of the few comics that I cannot place an influence. So let's start there. When Carmen Lynch decided to get into comedy, or when you were a kid, what were the comics that you looked up to? I actually don't have, I didn't have any because I never followed stand-up. I fell into stand-up by accident. So my comic, my influences were not, they were comedians. They weren't stand-ups. It was like, I I would watch like I Love Lucy reruns, Carol Burnett reruns. Like I loved, those were the two, my two biggest influences growing up. Like whenever I was sick and not in school, I would just watch I Love Lucy just over and over and over again. Um, but yeah, I, I moved to New York to pursue acting and then kind of fell into stand up by accident. So once I started stand up, I didn't know that could be a career choice. Um, then I started to have to, I had to catch up on, and I still, I never feel like I'm caught up. I don't know enough about like Lenny Bruce or, you know, a million other comedians that were out there before us. Um, yeah, so it was kind of exciting to to find something that I never ever thought I'd do. You know, it's kind of it's kind of funny that you mentioned. Well, that explains why. And I, I've, there's so many great comics that I listen to, and I say, okay, I can hear a little bit of Hedberg in there or Pryor or something. Yeah. So it's not a bad thing to hear influences, but not hearing any particular influences in your stuff that makes sense that. Uh, from from that time frame and those shows, we're about the same age. And I can remember when I was little, how blown away I was by I Love Lucy, just the physical comedy. And even though I didn't understand yeah. everything they were laughing at, I just thought it was funny. And the same thing, I mean, gosh, the Carol Burnett show was such it was such a big deal, and all those seventies variety shows. Yeah, I, I don't know that I, mean, I was. I didn't, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say. I, I, I grew up in Spain, so I didn't move to the States till I was, I, you know, till the 80s. But I, you know, I had heard of I Love Lucy and and all of those sitcoms, those morning sitcoms that were just like super old and they would just run them in the morning. And uh, and I loved them. And especially like I Love Lucy. But like, you know, even I remember at night, uh, my parents would watch Three's Company. And I, John Ritter was like such a big like i thought he was like the best there was no one better than him with comic <laughs> timing and falling and all that stuff he was just brilliant it was so scandalous in in our house we've got another uh we've got another similarity is um i was raised catholic not exactly a practicing catholic but i had a weird household I, it was my dad and then my grandmother and three's company may as well have been like a stag film. My grandma would make yeah. sure my brother and I were in the basement when that came on. And my dad loved it. Yeah, I, we weren't allowed to watch it either. And I remember I'd walk down the stairs and my parents were watching it in the basement. And they were like, what are you doing? You need to go upstairs. Like it was such, <laughs> uh, such a big deal that he was like pretending to be gay, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, gosh, when you... So funny. I still enjoy like during the pandemic, one of the things that helped me get through oddly enough was Columbo. I don't know why I just started. I saw it on one day and it was oddly comforting. And I end next thing I know over three months, I watched all 62 episodes of whatever Columbo wow. was. But when I watched some television from that era, three's companies, one that comes to mind is a lot of it just doesn't fit with the times we're in. Some of it can be some of the dialogue and plot lines can be cringy, but I still get it. I see what the entertainment value would have been. 
you know, times change. <laughs> a show like yeah. that wouldn't last past the pitch meeting uh, today, but it was a huge show. And John Ritter, gosh, have you ever heard one bad thing about John Ritter? He's like Henry Winkler-ish in how loved he was in Hollywood. Yeah, yeah, he was absolutely amazing. Now, you mentioned I was going to save it for last because this is the thing of, of, of the many things I was fascinated to talk and excited to talk to Carmen Lynch about today is you have such a unique you do shows in Spanish. You do shows in English. As you mentioned, you spent the early part of your life in Spain. You have a Spanish mother, American father. My curiosity is obviously I know the primary difference between stand up in English and in Spanish is the language. But how about everything else? Um doing stand-up in a, in a foreign language are the beats different do you have to sell a joke differently um how other than the language how similar are your acts in english and in spanish i mean there's so much to say about that like my energy is different i think your brain like first it feels like i'm using a different part of my brain so when i'm done with with a, a, a spanish show I almost consciously have to be like, okay, turn that off and switch this part on because it just feels like I'm a different person. It's, uh, and I'm also like at most, uh, sometimes I'm translating a joke that I do in English and sometimes I feel like I'm just up there just talking to the audience, just being a Spanish person. Mm -hmm. So, um, I feel like there's more Spanish stand up in New York now. So I'm, I'm getting to know that side of me better as a comedian. Um, but, um, there's so much more I want to dig into. Like it's, it's like my persona sometimes feels different. Sometimes I feel more energetic because I'm, I'm almost like more, uh, uh present because I have to use a, a language that I don't, need to use every day right. so i almost have to be like more alert more aware and uh and then sometimes it's just loosey-goosey talking to the audience and asking them like is this how you guys say this word because i i just went to costa rica and they say it like this you know well, yeah, so would... it's it's not just like english versus spanish it's like spain spanish versus costa rica like i opened for Carlos Vallarta, who's Mexican, but then I opened for Nanutria, who's Venezuelan, and there are words that are completely different that they use. Yeah, that's. I, I was actually going to ask you that because when your 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 Spanish is Spain based, uh, and obviously with um, a European background in the states, I would think that a lot of people. Um, a, a lot of people familiar with Spanish, it would be more of some of the the Mexican or the or the Caribbean dialects of it. So it's got to be so different. Would you say um, Spanish speaking people from Spain? I always say when I hear people speaking Spanish, it just seems so energetic and fun. It's like, are these people ever, ever mad at each other? It's just it's happy. It's <laughs> is, is there a yeah. different energy to Spanish speakers from Europe? versus uh what we'd be more more familiar with here in the states i mean i to do that perf like to understand that fully i'd have to be there for a significant period of time mm -hmm. but what i've seen is um they and i've been told this by other comics latino comics is they're not so jokey like we are here they're not mm -hmm. so invested in setup punch and how many laughs you get per minute it's more like a storytelling vibe and 
some of the like bigger comics that I've worked with that I've opened for in Spanish, they don't have jokes every second. They're right. just telling a story. So the energy is, is like they're listening and they're not expecting so much. And I noticed that when I, when I do it in Spanish, because I'm like, Oh my God, I need to get a laugh soon. And, and I'm like, Oh, I don't like, <laughs> that's not, that's not necessarily their vibe, their way, you well, know? I, I, I find that, I find that so fascinating too. And now knowing a little bit more of that background too, it's still, it, it, it makes even more sense when I, when I listen to your material because you're, I mean, you're not a one liner comic, but you get a lot of, you get a lot of jokes in per minute. You've, you've got a lot of stuff, but it's just a, such a unique style to your own, your writing, your cadence and your delivery. And it's got, it's because of your background. You're fortunate. I, oh, well, thank you. And I think, I think it does have to do with the fact that I never watched anyone I mean, that can be a detriment right. as well, because sometimes I do feel like I wish I knew more about, you know, George Carlin or, or whoever. But, um, you know, there's always time to uh, catch up on the classic, the legends out there. Oh, absolutely. You know? I feel. Yeah. Everyone's going to be talking about Carlin with the with the new Carlin documentary coming out. And it's yeah. like, I know broad strokes about the classics. Uh, um, I, I, I was a Richard Pryor fan when, when I was little. The very first stand-up album I ever heard was Richard Pryor. But gosh, you, you know, in comic circles, it's got to be the same even in the circles you run in. There are just so many comedy geeks who know the minutia of everyone's act. And yeah. sometimes I'm like, okay, uh, check, please. I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to leave the room before I sound like totally. an imbecile. <laughs> yeah, no, and, and, and it's funny now, like, Comparing how me doing stand up in Spanish, like say five or seven years ago versus today, the, the Spanish comics that I, uh, conversed with on this last trip, I just got back last week from Spain, like they know so much more about, uh, New York City comedians because of the internet. Right. You know, it's like you have people like Sam Morell, Mark Norman, Jessica Kirsten, like they're, they are so so well known in the comedy community over in other countries because of social media and that's changed everything like that wasn't like that before especially you know with reels and the pandemic and everyone staying indoors and and watching stuff it's like they know all of the heavy hitters from the city you know absolutely yeah i was curious um with with all the comics we have um coming coming through town and even myself personally trying to cobble together uh, a schedule and some runs in the kind of sort of past p- pandemic world how active have you been how long did you have to lay low and, and how long have you been back out on the road um i mean i laid low pretty much like everyone else when all the clubs were closed i became very um obsessed with tiktok so i i was you know def- putting up videos all the time I don't do it as much, but I still try to, but that, you know, you can find a new following just through, through that when you don't have a show. Mm-hmm. Um, but now things are, you know, back in action, everybody's open and, and I just, I've always loved traveling, you know, whether it's for stand up or not. And I did it before stand up. So, so just going places has just been Oh, kind no. of just something I like to it, do. Yeah, it's it's been. I, I know I know we're not out of the woods, and I know we're going to be dealing with this for a long time. But there, are certain aspects of the spring going into the summer of 2020, uh, 2022 feel 
wonderfully familiar and it's very soothing <laughs> for someone like me yeah. who's been extremely anxious the last 26 months and i'm sure most people Absolutely. have uh, yeah I wanted to ask you, this is kind of a correlation I've been piecing together with comic friends and people I've interviewed over the years. But uh, for our listeners who don't know, Carmen is tall, tall for a lady, oh. six feet tall. It's in your act quite a bit. Um, oddly enough, seeing you on television back in the very first time I remember seeing you was on Conan. And I'm thinking, but she doesn't look tall. I guess it's the way they shoot it. But were you tall as a kid or is it something that in your in your teens or in adolescence you you kind of stuck out? Um, I was always tall. I I just remember the first memories of being tall is in elementary school. The teacher would always line us up from shortest to tallest. <laughs> and I was always in the back with boys. And I was so shy. I was so scared because I just moved to America. And I felt like I spoke funny. And I didn't know. I wasn't like, I just, it was a new country. And I just remember being stuck in the back not only with boys who are like, you know, at that age they have cooties, but now like there, I have no, I, I just don't feel confident in the language and that. So I was basically tall all the time. And then, um, yeah, by the time I got to middle school, seventh, eighth grade, I was already taller than most of my friends. Um, pretty much all of them. And I remember, I um I wore a back brace in middle school and I was like God I'm already so tall and now I have to wear a brace on my back like like I'm just trying to fit in and now I just feel like this giant giraffe with this like <laughs> shell on me so yeah it's always been a thing but well, now of course I I love it you well, know it's fun that's that's the correlation I was going to make is there's so many comics who had some type of physical oddity yeah. or something that made them different like i was yeah. i was a fat kid i was a fat kid in the 80s long before it was cool and yeah. my pediatrician <laughs> and my grandma always said that you'll grow out of you and, and sure enough by the time i got to 10th grade i weighed the same yeah. as i did in fifth grade but now now i'm six foot two so but i was i was bullied i was self-conscious and that's how i yeah. i, I de developed i was a funny guy i deflected through humor so i just think that's part of it and you not only sticking out because you were tall and then and then with your brace, but being from a, a, a different country, I bet I suspect that you were more exotic uh, than you want to believe. I bet I just when I was a little kid and me, me and my friends, when a new girl would move in from out of town, we would be so just obsessed. Oh, my God, there's a new girl. And gosh, we never had one come from overseas. So, <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I, I moved here when I was eight. So I don't think it was the age because we also had foreign exchange students in high school mm -hmm. who were like, who's that new person? But boom, <laughs> you know, but not when you're eight, when you're eight, like nobody cares. You know what I mean? But but at the same time, I didn't care so much about being Spanish either, because you know, that's something you just take for granted. Like I would just go home and speak Spanish to my mother. It wasn't like New York city, like where everyone speaks Spanish right? and it just feels like it definitely feels like an asset out here because like so many people speak Spanish. You know what I mean? It's, it's an asset everywhere. It's, it's a shame. The curricula curriculums in the States are changing. I've, um, I've got a 22 year old and an 18 year old. The 22 year old just graduated with a German minor. My 18 year old has the Michigan seal of biliteracy in Spanish. And wow. they literally 
have doubled their opportunities in life. Not only can you communicate yeah. with more of your fellow humans, but you've literally doubled your opportunities. Whereas someone my age, the public school curriculum in, in the States up until the last 10 years is, oh, it will be really cute to learn Spanish. So if you go on vacation, you'll know how to order. Totally. You know, I mean, that yeah. was the mindset. Yeah. And, and, and I guess what I, what's funny is that people didn't realize that you can't learn Spanish by just going to class. You got to speak it every day and to have kids now kids learn it. And I don't know, I think they're like in the third grade when they start now, but like, I remember in high school, like language requirements were in high school, right? you know, but, but now it's like, no, you got to learn this when you're young. Did you go for three? Do you have any, did you take another language? Or did you I think I took German in high school because um, I I think I took Spanish four or five just to like this is going to sound really arrogant, but just to like review. My Spanish. <laughs> so, so I just I was like, let me take Spanish four and five because they were AP classes. And I'm like, let me do some reading and whatever. But I was also kind of excited to learn a new language. And I had to I did have to fulfill my language requirements. So I did German for three years. <laughs> which was um so different obviously you know that from oh, your children but i just yeah. it's, it's so f serendipity i started i started uh my wife and i are going to bavaria next month for our anniversary and so i started uh we're too cheap to bring our daughter with us to translate so i started german on Babel this morning i'm taking i took french on my <laughs> phone and yeah it's just the, the accent going from french uh lessons on my phone to german it's like oh my god they couldn't be more different F french is just so beautiful and lyrical and romantic and german is so specific it is. It's got so much of that back, back of the throat kind yeah. of sound. It's been like, Tom. <laughs> it's been Carmen. <laughs> no, but my sister took French, and so I don't know what it is with like kids, but you just don't. Sometimes you don't want to do what your siblings do, and so I know that's why I picked German because I was like, well, French was clearly already done in this house. I'm going to do German and be different, you know, well, yeah, but, but French is so beautiful. Yeah. We're, we're not super well-traveled, but we have been to Epcot, Germany, and we're really looking forward to seeing how the real one stacks up. <laughs> We've been to Disney World, Germany, France, England. We'll see how the real ones uh, oh my gosh. stand up. Okay. So i got to ask you um, a question specifically um, about the two records I had, I had mentioned that I downloaded and um, listen to both Vertically Obese and Dance Like You Don't Need the Money. Terrific, terrific records. At the end... Thank you. At the end of Dance Like You Don't Need the Money, which, by the way, not only is it a terrific album, but it's top five comedy album names uh, that I've heard in, in a long time. But you do a track in Spanish. It's a bonus track on, uh, on, on what I downloaded. What is that track? What do I... You mean what? What is the joke? Yeah, is it is it one of the ones that you had already done in English, or is it something entirely new? I'm trying to look here on the record if it's got a name for the bonus track, or does it just say bonus track? Oh my god, I'm so embarrassed. I can't even remember. I know there's one on the end of Vertically Obese too. Like I want to do that on every album until I actually put out a Spanish album, which yeah. will hopefully be soon because I definitely have the material. It just um, says bonus but, track in Spanish. 
Okay, I probably <laughs> just didn't even know how to title that when I made that. Oh, come on. It's, it's not uh, like you're Bob Dylan and have 32 albums that you're trying to remember. What was the name of your joke? <laughs> I know. I But I know I just don't remember because that, that album is like five years old. So, And I have so many jokes I've done in Spanish. I literally don't remember which one. Which I think I did a couple. I think it's a like a combination of jokes. I'm sure it's about being tall or something. Well, I'm sure your your child can. I'm going to play it for, for him you. as soon as he gets home yeah. and say, "Hey, I, I spoke to a really cool cool comic today. Interviewed her for the show, and I would like to know what this is." Uh, yeah. Um, on uh, on vertically obese, this is kind of a. I, don't know, I guess this is more about me than you, but when I saw that it was recorded in 20, or at least that was the release, and a handful of the people I've had on the show over the last month and a half put out material in 20, and I was kind of hopey that it wasn't going to be pandemic stuff. And thank God it was prior pandemic. Um, it just, there's just a lightness to an album pre pandemic, post pandemic. It's just, um, it's going to be interesting when all of our favorite comics, yourself included, start putting out albums and material post pandemic. I don't see your style being super weighty and super heavy. I think you'll make this misery of the last couple of years fun. Won't you? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I've already kind of, stop doing a few of my pandemic jokes that vertically obese came out vertically obese was actually my last road gig before the pandemic it was like oh wow and end of february in uh bloomington indiana at the comedy attic so that that one um i recorded and i think it was like there was start they were starting to talk about i think i might even mention in it right that there was a, a covid virus going mm-hmm. out like going on but it was you know nowhere near what it became so um so then when we all got shut down i was like well i'm just gonna make that my album because we're not gonna be out there for a while <laughs> yes um, not too many yeah. people are releasing their zoom shows for the public <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So that, that was in a way, it was just kind of nice to have like that final road gig be an album. Cause it was like the end of, a, of an era, the end of our free pandemic life, you know? I exhausted my allotment of prep hours for the Carmen Lynch interview. So I didn't get to two things that I'm super curious about. So we'll kind of wrap on those. Um, first you've got, you've got so many fascinating credits, but you've, you've got some legitimate, uh, screen time and acting credits the good wife uh inside amy schumer how much um is is that still kind of a play for you uh pushing uh acting as far as it can go are you or are you primarily stand up and hey I, i'll take what comes my way what's the plan i absolutely love acting i mean that that was why i first moved to new york and i love i love wigs i love I mean, if you even look at my TikTok videos, there's just a lot of silly character stuff on there. So that's always been something I love doing. So, um, and I hope to just continue with acting uh, until, and stand up until I drop dead. You know, that's just, it's so fun. And, you know, the shows that I've done, like I did Life and, Life and Beth, which is Amy's new show. Mm-hmm. And then I just did a new sketch on, inside amy schumer season five which i don't know when that'll come out but um that stuff i just i love doing all that stuff so i i hope that continues and you know in the meantime i'll just play my own role on social media <laughs> um the sure. um the 
other thing that I did not get to dive into, but I promise you that I will. Um, uh-huh. You have a, you have a very fascinating name for your podcast. It's called Human Centipod. Let our listeners know what to expect if they click play. Well, you know, um, when the pandemic started, I was um, I was quarantined with my boyfriend and his pretty much his entire immediate family in Connecticut in this house. Mm -hmm. So when we were like bored and didn't know what to do, we had sort of talked about starting a podcast and we were all kind of stuck together in this house. It, we were like, let's call it, you know, about like the movie, The Human Centipede. But we just obviously changed the end to Human Centipod. <laughs> and we'd never, never seen the movie before. About a year ago, I saw the movie and I was like, oh, my God, what did I just do? This is the worst <laughs> movie I've ever seen. But um, but it has the, the podcast has nothing to do with the movie. It's just my boyfriend and I talking about everything from movie reviews to relevant current events like you know everything out there we just had our one of our latest episodes was um the johnny depp trial was actually done in my hometown i grew up in fairfax virginia oh wow and one of my friends um went to the trial three times she got in three times so we have her as a guest talking about the ins and outs of like johnny and amber in the in the courtroom so it's just basically um, us just shooting the shit and also just talking about what's going on in the world. Well, and it's uh, on Sirius XM on, on She's So Funny, which is channel 771. But then it's also on um, iTunes and Spotify and all those other places. Well, I'm so excited that you're coming into town and we got a chance to speak. You've got you've got a serious fan here in, in the Detroit area now. And now that I know that there's so much more content and material out there including the human centipod podcast i can continue to get my fill of carmen lynch even after i've played out (laughs) vertically obese and dance like you need the money thank you again carmen this has been a blast safe travels and i'll see you at the shows thank you so much thank you bye-bye some corollary there that we'll have to do a deep dive on some other time. But my curiosity is, do you feel because of your previous life as a lawyer and as a professional woman that club owners and comics took you more seriously because of that? Did that bring you credibility or, or, or was there no correlation? I think it did give me just a tiny bit of extra credibility, but not really very much. And I found in some ways, it was a handicap to me because as an attorney, you make an argument, everything has to make sense. And in comedy, if you spend your time making everything you know, commonsensical, then you're going to be using way too many words and spending 15 minutes on one joke. So you just have to get over that and say, the heck with it. I'm just going to go for this this punchline and I don't care if it makes a hundred percent sense going down. Mm -hmm. So it was, there were parts that made it more difficult, but parts that did make it easier. People often ask me, why did I take the classes at the comedy castle? Because I was terrified. I mean, I'd handled cases in the court of appeals and in federal courts many, many times and walked in there without a care in the world And it's sort of like I feel about comedy now. It's like if you have your material down and you know what you're talking about, you've got nothing to fear. 
but I didn't know how to be funny. So I took the classes for two reasons. One, to learn how to write comedy, and two, to learn how to present myself in a you-don't-have-to-make-sense-every-second-of-every-day context. Who was teaching them when you did them? Gilda Hauser was one of the folks, and I am trying to remember the other woman's name. I am blanking on her name, but there were two women who taught it. And one was a member of the Totally Unrehearsed Theater, which did improv on Tuesday nights at the castle. Wow. So she she played, she had two hats. She was a comedy uh, teacher, and she was also a member of the improv group. It's so, you know, I, I go back on the scene to late 08, early 09, which in some ways feels like a lot of time, even though it's gone by quickly. And it's just I always am fascinated by this, this whole world that existed before I ever even stepped foot on the scene. Um, a juicy question that I've, I've been looking forward to speaking to you about um, it, it kind of falls on the thick skin you need to have as a booker. Now, in my personal experience, I have booked uh, a handful of shows to varying degrees of success. It's it's tough when you can't put people on shows. You don't. There's just not enough. Uh, there's there's too many comics and, and a limited number of paying spots to fill. But when I think of you, and I think of I think of Mark Ridley, and I think of Roger and Ann Arbor, and I think of the Yoder family. The amount of shit that comics will throw your way until you're booked, and then it's you know it's oh. Connie, fuck that. Mark, fuck that. Oh, he never, you know, he's got his favorite. She's got her favorite. And, and that's, I know all of you people personally, it's a business. You you use who you can for what you have available and you have to be persistent. So you take a lot of slack, probably not much of it to your face, but how do you deal with that? Do you just not care? Has your callus grown, grown thick enough over time that you just roll with it? I've had to develop a thick skin. At first, my feelings were getting hurt because um, people like to do the tit for tat thing. Well, look, at I'll book you at my lousy four seat room if you book me in Holly. And <laughs> I never wanted to play the, you know, we'll exchange gigs because that's no way to book anybody. And that's another thing that Bill Hildebrand and Mark Ridley both taught me. You don't ever do that yeah. and at, at the uh, expense of the show. You've got to look for people who not only are good comedians, but work well together when you're booking more than one comic for a show. They have to complement one another. That's one thing I always prided myself on was looking for people who worked well together mm -hmm. and would complement one another. But you do have to build up a thick skin because you do catch a lot of crap. Yeah. And they'll, they actually, it's almost like they have a spreadsheet that they keep track of how many people get booked. And there are numerous reasons you book people. One can just be physical proximity. Yeah. In Holly, we had a limit on the number of times we could pay for a hotel for somebody. So that was two weeks a month. And if somebody was out of town, I'm sorry, we just don't have the room for a hotel unless you have somebody you can crash with or you like sleeping in your car. So I, it was it was difficult. I got a gig once from you and once uh, from Mark Ridley because I happened to be the guy that called on that day when somebody fell out, you know, and I don't absolutely I don't absolutely I, I don't attack and overwhelm bookers, but 
I, e- I, I email uh, maybe once every month and a half. I followed up with a phone call maybe once every two months. I'm not blowing up people's phones all the time, but just, hey, my name's out there. Put myself in front of him. Uh, I don't remember what the gig was, but you had had a fallout. <laughs> it's like, well, mm-hmm. I could use you tomorrow if you're available. I'm like, bingo. So, Absolutely. That's why I always told people, keep your avails in front of me. Send them every couple of weeks or once a month, but no less than that, because if I have an opening that suddenly appears, I don't want to have to go back through a stack of 47 emails and see who's available. And I don't remember that particular instance, but I'm sure, you know, being the good comic that you are, that you were an easy fit. Because I don't find you conflicting with anybody. And like I said, you're a good comic. So it was a very easy fill for me. And believe me, when you get that call saying, I can't make it today, you're just looking for something easy. That's a bonus. It's not the only thing you're looking for. But there are some people who are just inappropriate for the Holly Hotel or were inappropriate for the Holly Hotel. And I would still never book them there. And now they're booking tons of rooms and I cannot get a spot with them to save my life. And what I am told is you wouldn't book me at Holly. Well, that's one of the, when I get grumpy and get cynical and I'm, you know, I'm not super plugged into the scene anymore. I've got my friends. I mean, I host this show. I'm at the castle all the time, but I'm not super plugged in, but it's the more things change, the more they stay the same. Even from my early time in the scene, there's, uh, comics like to present themselves as open-minded, open-hearted, and hey, we're one big happy family and great community. Well, that's until you start getting booked. <laughs> and then it's, that's right. oh, he sucks. He hasn't written a new joke in five years and blah, blah, blah. It's it, it, it's kind of disappointing, you know. Um, yes, who is he performing sexual favors for and yeah, yeah, it's, things it's, like that. It's it's always something. The, the, biggest, the biggest fallacy that I've heard in the scene since the time I walked into it is, oh, if you want to work the castle, you got to take one of the classes. Well, I never took a class there. I didn't even I, I didn't even speak to anyone the first four or five years I went to the castle. And then I started mm-hmm. I started knowing people when I felt more confident in my act. That's when I started. I don't think I sent Mark a clip until I've been doing comedy for almost five years. I, I I knew I wasn't ready. I was like, hey, I'm making strides, but I'm not castle ready. There's a you know no. So. And an, another good lesson I learned was don't come out of the box too soon. And I re- that was the phrasing that bill hildebrandt used and i'm going what box what are you talking about no don't try to move up too soon if you're an mc make sure that you are absolutely ready to feature yeah because if you screw up that feature spot you're going to go back down to mc if that and you're going to be stuck there for a long long time so i see so many people and facebook is a tremendous uh cause of this you will see people saying i have 10 minutes i'm ready to headline there's there's one guy i'm sure is just doing this to make people crazy and some of my friends are crazy enough to respond to him instead of just ignoring him but and they'll say you need more than 10 minutes well he then he added well i'll have enough applause to fill the other 45 minutes (laughs) Uh, no i don't think so but yeah uh... don't Do not come out of the box too soon, and you'll be much happier that you waited. I don't think I auditioned with Funny Business until I had been doing this for like four years. And everybody had already been with Funny Business and stuck in the MC grind for a long time. 
it, it is tough. People don't people don't consider that as as you work your way up. It can be unforgiving, you know. Everyone still has a bad show every now and again, but if you get bumped up, and 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 you eat shit a couple shows in the row, it, it will take you forever to get bumped up again, if ever, on the same. Scene, yes, because you know? people always remember the last show, and they'll never remember all the great shows you did before that. The time you got a standing O, those go completely into the memory wastebasket and you're just stuck with that one bad show. So if I could give somebody advice, it's just wait until you're ready and you know that you're ready and Mm. make sure you listen with actual human ears. There are people who hear laughter that isn't there and they think that they're ready to go. And I just call them delusional. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) or there's somebody like me who is very timid about it at first. And I swore I didn't hear the laughter at first. I'd have to go home and listen to the the recording that I made. And it's like, Oh, they laughed. Wow. Because I was so worried about not getting laughs that I didn't hear it a lot of times. Uh, I've got uh, we've got a wrap in, in a minute. I don't want to have to cut out any of this excellent conversation because I thoroughly have enjoyed it. And it's been too long. Let's now that the pan, now that the pandemic is kind of sort of over, we've got to have a coffee date and, 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 and catch yes, up. We proper. Do. But I wanted to share with you my fir- the first time I met you. And it, it was such a Wizard of Oz moment when I look back all these years. It's so funny. So when I started, um, uh, Joy's is the first place where I got paid MC work. And I did a couple of one-nighters, and I, I was getting some some paid work, but I was trying to get more. And um, a mutual friend of ours, Bill, Bill Bouchard, who most, most of our yes. listeners know, recommended that I reach out to you. Well, Connie books this, this, and that, and, you know, get get in front of her. So I, you just hear about this, this Svengali type figure named Connie Ettinger, <laughs> who's just pulling the strings of the, of the Michigan comedy scene. And I, I sent you a couple emails. I think you responded once, Hey, I don't have anything right now, blah, blah, blah. And then it was about six months of, of hearing of you and hearing about you. And I got paired on a show with you, um, in Windsor, uh, with, uh, I think it was me, you and Leo and it was yes, around it the was. holiday time. And I see this little woman come walking in, carrying <laughs> gifts, think, giving Leo and Diane a hug, saying, oh, this must be one of their friends. They're having a little holiday party. And then Diane's like, Tom, do you know Connie? I was like, this? This is Connie Edger? This woman's had me shaking in my shoes for six months? And- <laughs> All five foot one and a half of me. Exactly. I am very short. Well, you're big in but- stature. You, you set that up. I put it on a well, tee for you. Thank you so much. I appreciate it, Tom, and I appreciate the chance to talk to everybody. And hey, out there in Radio Land or whatever we call it, Podcast World, I'm not sure what we call it these days. It's not radio, but it's, I don't know why they call it pods. I think those I still, are, that's a group of whales. I always, you know, I've been doing this show now almost four years. And I enjoy doing it. I just, I pretend it's live radio. And that mm-hmm. helps if, if I think of it any other way, it's just not organic and it sounds weird and everything. So even though this conversation may not post for a couple of weeks or a couple of days, I, I don't know. Hopefully, hopefully it sounds live and organic because I can assure you both you and I are still alive and kicking. We are. And I'm not going anyplace. Contrary to what people may have heard, I am not dead and I don't plan to be that way for quite a while. Well, I thank you for everything you do for the scene, everything you've done for me personally. You you know, first person to feature me, first person to let me close, and uh, I, I can't thank you enough. 
Well, I can't thank you for having the talent to do it and the persistence to keep your veils in front of me, like I tell everybody else. You just did what you were supposed to do, Tom, and that's be funny and be reliable and professional. Well, thank you. You filled my bucket today. Thanks again for doing this, Connie. I'll see you out there. You're very welcome. Thanks, Tom. Bye-bye. And there you have it. Another installment of the Mark Ridley's Comedy Castle podcast. So happy to bring it to you. I have so much fun doing these, talking to all these great comics from all over the country, week in and week out. It truly is a pleasure. Make sure that you're subscribing. Spread the word. We'll keep bringing you these interviews on a week, week in, week out basis. Thank you, as always, to our incredible producer, Joel Fregamini, who does such a good job of making this sound great for you. Until next time, everyone, this is Tom McCarthy for Mark Ridley's Comedy Castle Podcast. Mm-hmm.